with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I am Alex Smith, joined, as always, by the one and only Fran Duffy. Fran, good morning. How are you today? I am doing wonderful, Alex. It's uh, another game day here in Philadelphia. We had a big day of college football yesterday, which uh, means we've got a lot to discuss today. Yeah, it's a bit of a chilly day today, but yes. uh, definitely football weather for sure. Uh, Eagles and Bucks coming up should be a good one. But we're talking college football right now. Uh, really excited to uh, dig in and see, you know, talk about some of the action from this past weekend. Um, got some very good questions for our mailbag later on. Uh, our pick six segment should be a fun one as well uh, as we go pirate themed, as most things have been themed this week uh, <laughs> here at the Novacare Complex. Uh, so a lot to talk about. Let's dig right in and start things off with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, Fran, let's start off uh, Draft Buzz today by talking about your Saturday scouting, Saturday scouting column. Uh, and first things first, the game that you were at yesterday, Memphis and Temple, uh, Paxton Lynch, obviously one of the hottest names in the country. Just I didn't get to watch any of the game, but just going in and looking at his numbers, maybe not the best day numbers-wise, but what did you see out of Lynch yesterday, and, and how was the game overall? Oh, the game overall was great. I mean, it was uh, obviously a huge win for Temple. Uh, a defensive matchup, for sure. It wasn't the prettiest game to watch. Uh, both offenses really struggled at times. Um, it was interesting watching Lynch because, obviously, you know, you watch him in pregame warm-ups, and the kid's got, he's got a natural arm, no question about it. I mean, he's got one of the best arms uh, in this draft class, if he does declare. I mean, in terms of draft-eligible quarterbacks in the juniors and seniors, he has one of the better arms in the class. I think he's got good touch down the field. He could still learn when to take some uh, something off of those shorter throws, but uh, shows good touch down the field. I think he makes some pretty heady plays. Now, it's interesting. The three games that I've studied of him and then anything else that I've watched on TV, they've been a downfield offense, a vertical passing game. Now, I haven't watched the past two weeks against Houston and Navy, two losses for Memphis. Mm-hmm. But uh, coming into this week, I was really excited to see him in person, see him kind of turn it loose and see what that arm looks like live. He only had one opportunity yesterday where he really kind of let the ball go downfield they were very much focused on the quick and intermediate passing game and I'll tell you what he kind of looked a little banged up you know lots of limping uh it looked like he was favoring his right leg a little bit whether it was a muscle or you know I I don't know but he definitely looked banged up spent a lot of time on the bike uh when he was on the sideline so was that something people knew about coming into the game or I don't know from from yesterday yeah I'm not sure it looked I mean it, it was very early on that I noticed it so my gut tells me that it would be something that he came into the week with. But, uh, you know, so it was a little disappointing from that respect. Even when they were down and they're down two scores late in the fourth quarter, you know, you kind of knew, okay, they're, they're limiting themselves because they came out with their first two plays and they ran double slant and a screen, you know, with four minutes left in the game and down by two scores. So uh, they clearly were, you know, trying to protect him and try and keep him up, right, because uh, it was very clear to me that he, he wasn't 100%. So he completed 25 of his 34 passes, but he only threw for 156 yards. Yep. That's a 4.6 average. What did Temple's defense do to, to take him away? Well, I would say that Temple's defense did a really good job of being disciplined on the back end and then aggressive on the front end. And they've, all, they've been aggressive in the front seven all season long, and that's been one of their calling cards defensively. 
Uh, obviously, they've had their share of breakdowns in the back end, especially over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but yesterday, they were they were sound in the back end, and they did a good job. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily a vertical passing game. It's not like uh, there were lots of opportunities down the field for him to throw the ball with that Temple was taking away. Mm-hmm. They were calling a lot of quick game concepts, but still, when given the opportunity, I thought the secondary in the back end did a good job for Temple. The only the one chance that. Uh, Paxton Lynch took down the field. I believe it was. It may have been on a wheel route. It was some kind of a vertical route down the sideline, and he put it exactly where it needed to be. It went right through the wide receiver's hands and landed out of bounds for an incomplete pass. So, uh, you know, I thought that the defense for Temple did a really good job. Matikavich had another big day, linebacker for the Owls. He became the seventh player all time to get four 100-tackle seasons uh, in his career, which was obviously an impressive feat. Um, I, I was interested to see who the other six names were. And they were none of them rang a bell. So, uh, you know, that goes to show you that stats don't always mean everything. But, um, no, overall, very good defensive battle for both teams. Uh, speaking of Tyler Matikevich, he's a player who has already accepted an invite to the 2016 Senior yes. Bowl. Uh, I have that list of players. We can go through that a little bit later sure. here on the podcast. But moving on in your Saturday scouting column, I think you may have uh, jinxed these guys just a little <laughs> bit uh, because your next guy on your list is Christian Hackenberg against Michigan. Um, I only saw a little bit of that game. I watched uh, the first drive for Penn State um, where they got down inside the Michigan 10-yard line, I think, and they ran the ball three times and settled for a field goal. They end up losing the game, and Hash- Hackenberg, I think, was 13 of 31. Uh, as I pull up his stats really quick, yeah, 13 for 31, 137 yards and a touchdown yesterday. Yeah, you know, it's it's really it's tough to watch this Penn State offense and you know, luckily for them that they've got some production out of the running game with Saquon Barkley, the true freshman running back there, but uh it's He looks been, really good. Yeah, and it, it's been tough sledding though for Hackenberg and uh you know, the the only game that I had gotten a chance to really see of him this year was that Temple game in week 1 and uh, he had his shares of struggle, share of struggles in that game. He was sacked 10 times. There were lots of issues from that whole Penn State offense in that week. But recently I went back and I watched three more games from this year. And, you know, the the inaccuracy has flared up, you know, more so probably than last year, especially just in the, in the screen game. I mean, so many times uh, over the course of the season, you've seen him step back, catch a screen, turn and try and throw a bubble to the outside and just completely overthrow the receiver. Uh, and that's been an issue. And a lot of that comes from lower body mechanics and how he sets his feet. But then also just the fact that I don't think he's just a very naturally accurate passer. Um, now, there are things that I think they could have been doing to kind of open things up for him, mm-hmm. and they're not doing it. And it doesn't sound, you know, judging on who you believe, there's lots of reports out there that say that they're not, they have no plans to change what they do offensively. But uh, look, I mean, what what is Hackenberg? Hackenberg is a vertical thrower. He's got the arm. He's got the the downfield ability. Last year, I thought that there was a lot of plays or a lot of examples where he threw with anticipation. He showed the ability to stand tall in the pocket and deliver with a defender bearing down. You still see that from time to time. The biggest issue, the biggest concern for me right now is that I feel like with the the issues that they've had up front, he's starting to look a little bit shell-shocked against pressure, and Mm -hmm. and that's a scary thing. So, uh, you know, I think that when he gets to the NFL, he still has a ton of ability. He's clearly not going to be ready to start right away, but you have a guy that's got uh, almost still a moldable ball of clay. The question will be, can he get past some of those issues in the pocket? Can he get past some of those mechanical issues uh, that have led to some of his inaccurate throws? So Hackenberg versus Lynch, what are the similarities? What are the differences between the two? I would say the similarities are obviously the size. I mean, uh, Hackenberg's 6'4", 238. Lynch is a bit bigger. He's listed 6'7", looks every bit of 6'7", uh, in person. But uh, clearly the arm strength. Both those guys have, have very, very strong arms. 
Uh, and then, you know, Lynch, look, I would say the biggest knock on Lynch is that he's not as an, he's not as erratic as Hackenberg, no question about it, but his ball placement is often, uh, you know, not ideal. So, you know, if, if he's throwing a crossing route, uh, the ball may be a little bit behind the receiver, might be, uh, you know, up above his head. He makes his receivers work a little bit too much. And that's going to be the biggest knock will be while he's got great touch, the ability to drop a ball in a bucket down the field. When he's got to drive the ball, the accuracy isn't always great. And as we touched on, that's, that's the big issue with Hackenberg. Again, varying degrees there of inaccuracy but uh, I would say that, that those are the similarities it's uh it's interesting that Lynch you mentioned him being six foot seven how many quarterbacks have really played at that height I'm trying to think about it right now I mean well, yeah, one like guy's getting his Brock first Osweiler was yeah. six seven six eight yeah he's getting his um, first start today uh so that uh, it'll just be interesting to see uh you know what happens with Lynch in the next few months here uh moving right along uh, next guy up on your list was Ole Miss wide receiver Laquan Treadwell. He did have a touchdown in that game as uh, Ole Miss beat LSU yesterday. Um, what do you like about Treadwell? You know, Treadwell is clearly one of the most physically imposing wide receivers in college football. And uh, we talked about it on this podcast. You know, I think that watching him last year, I was a little bit disappointed when I went back. And a lot of people, he was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Uh, and people coming into the year were saying, oh, the top five pick. He's going to be a top one of the best receivers in the country. I was left wanting a little bit more based off of last year, and he played at 230 pounds, uh, which is obviously it's pretty heavy for a receiver, but he's got good size. He's at least six two and a half. Uh, very, very good at the catch point, and that's that's his strength. It's his ability to go up and win with the ball in the air. Very, very good uh, in terms of winning in contested situations uh, and doing things of that nature, winning in the big man's game, but. As a route runner, I wanted to see more. Getting off the line of scrimmage, I wanted to see more. He had the ability to be a great blocker, but I didn't see it consistently last year. I thought in this, and I wrote about this in the column, I thought in that LSU game last year, they made it a point to get in his head and get physical with him. And I thought personally that they kind of took him out of the game early uh, because they were able to jam him at the line of scrimmage. They really got chippy with him in the run game. Uh, And it seemed he was a little bit tentative moving forward in the last three quarters of that game. I didn't get a chance to watch that game. I was watching other games. Obviously, I was coming back from the uh, the Temple game as well. And then when I got back, I wanted to watch the Ohio State-Michigan State game. So I didn't focus on this game. I know that some people had said that Treadwell had, had eaten up Tredavious White, they, you know, that White was having trouble covering him one-on-one. That's tough for me to say because I didn't watch it. But mm. I will say that in some games this year, a lot of people have said Tredavious White, oh, he gave up too many passes. Sometimes they were in zone coverage. and you know. So I, I kind of want to temper my expectations before I go back and look at that matchup. I really like Tredavious White on tape, uh, a guy I think is one of the most talented corners in the country, still a junior, but very instinctive, very physical. I talked about the physicality last year in that game against Treadwell, a guy that's not afraid to mix it up with receivers. I think he's got the ball skills. He's got the athleticism. I think Tredavious White's one of the most talented corners in the country. That's why I highlighted this this matchup probably as the best one-on-one battle of this week, so I'm really excited to go back and study it, but that's kind of where we're at with those two guys. Speaking of that Michigan State Ohio State game, uh, obviously a huge matchup in the Big Ten, and Michigan State comes back and beats Ohio State with ten points in the fourth quarter, hands the Buckeyes their first loss of the year, uh, and really impressive that the Spartans were able to do that without Connor Cook, who did not play in the game. Yeah. Uh, Tyler O'Connor at quarterback just he did not only threw for eighty nine yards, but he did enough to get the win. Um, but the guy that I think a lot of people were watching in the in the game last night, Fran, was Ezekiel Elliott, and. He had some interesting comments after the game that I saw. That's uh, one way to put it. Questioning the play calling, which is never something that you really want to hear. Uh, but Elliott finishes with 12 carries for 33 yards and a touchdown yesterday. Um, you said you were able to watch the game, so what you see in this matchup? Well, 
clearly they got, they got away from Ezekiel Elliott, and and that had been an issue at times this year. And uh, he did touch on that in his post game press conference. Yes, he did. Um, you know, and, and just said that you know, they had they were able to get momentum uh, with some of their gap scheme runs, with running power, and some of those runs that they've got uh, in their arsenal. And then he implored, he really just begged for those runs in the second half, and just didn't get them uh, for whatever reason. So, you know, you. We'll see how much that comes up. Obviously, I think that'll probably come up uh, often in his uh, throughout the draft process and the interviews with teams and when he meets the media at the combine. But um, look, Elliot's one of the most talented runners in the country. Nothing's going to change that. He's likely a first round pick in my mind. So uh, very interested to see what what his status will be moving forward. But clearly, one of the probably the best draft eligible running back in the country. Aside from Elliot, who are the other top backs? You know, I would I would put Kenneth Dixon up there from Louisiana Tech, and a, a guy that every time I watch him, I like him more and more. I re- and that's saying something because I really liked him the first time I watched him. Uh, really competitive runner, has the athleticism. Ha- you know, long speed is the question with him. Is you know what's it? But I think when you look at uh, traits that you want for a running back, long speed is bit further down the list in terms of the, the necessary traits he's got the wiggle to make people miss he's got the power the, the the natural power to be able to lower his shoulder and move through a pile uh, I think he's got good vision he's very decisive but he's patient at the same time and knows when to hit the hole very very excited about Kenneth Dixon's future and he's got great third down value as well both as a receiver and I think he's improved as a blocker as well I think running back has really become an interesting position when it comes to the draft because um I think starting a few years ago um, with guys like Trent Richardson, I think he may have scared some people away where running backs, all of a sudden they started sliding out of the first round. Um, I think there were, what was it, a couple years ago where there was no running backs taken yep. in the first round. Um, so I think teams may have gotten a little bit scared to take running backs that early, figuring that you could get them later. But then if you look at what the Rams did this past year, taking Todd Gurley in the top 10, uh, so Ezekiel Elliott, where does he fall in that? For, is, is he an early first round pick? In your opinion, where does he fall? Well, I think it'll come down to, and we'll see, you know, in terms of the juniors that come out at other positions, because I think that has a, a huge impact on it. Uh, a lot of people on the Rams have come out on record and said this, thought that Todd Gurley was the best player in the draft last year. Uh, I don't know if Ezekiel Elliott is the number one player in the draft, just in terms of, you know, taking all the positions into account. But he's certainly, to me, I, th- I would say he's going to be one of the top 32 players in the draft. So I would imagine that he'll go pretty high. I think Kenneth Dixon is like very close to that as well. So I would be surprised. I would not be surprised to see Kenneth Dixon slide into the back end of round one. So, uh, you know, I think you've got two guys there that have that kind of ability. And then next year, you're talking about Leonard Fournette. You're talking about Dalvin Cook from Florida State. You're talking about Royce Freeman from Oregon. Uh, a lot of other big time backs coming out next year as well. So. Uh, clearly the running back position is on the upswing uh, in terms of college football and then you know transitionally the NFL. And finally, the last matchup uh, on, from your Saturday scouting column, uh, Indiana offensive tackle Jason Spriggs, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this name, versus Maryland defensive end Yannick Goku. And Guique. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go home now. I wasn't even go. close. Uh, you know, Spriggs is interesting. and you know, A lot of people have talked about him lately. Uh, I talked with Tony Pauline. He thinks he's going to get a senior bowl invite, and that doesn't surprise me after I went back and watched him naturally athletic kid has got good size I think that there's some talent there uh that could be could be a a first or second round pick but it's interesting I watched him and I wanted to I wanted to see a little bit more consistency and then I did a little bit more background work and went and wanted to see some you know read some articles about him 
And a lot of his coaches have said things. And it's funny when you kind of read between the lines of what coaches say. And a lot of his coaches said, yeah, you know, if he can put it all together, if he can, uh, you know, really marry what he does on field with what he does off field in terms of his preparation. Uh, you know, you kind of read between the lines there and you see, okay, the coaches think that he's got great ability, mm-hmm. but he hasn't really reached that potential yet because he hasn't put it all together on and off the field. So. That'll be an interesting question, and that'll be big for him throughout the draft process as he meets with teams. Will they feel confident that he can put it all together uh, on and off the field and really reach his full potential? Great stuff from Fran and his Saturday scouting column. Be sure to check it out on PhiladelphiaEagles.com right now. Um, now, Fran, let's transition. Uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier in the podcast, uh, but 19 prospects have already accepted the Senior Bowl invite. Um, I know it's one of your favorite times of the year going down, uh, checking out the senior bowl, but 19 guys uh, already named to the list. So I figure we just run through the position. I'll list off the guys. You tell me what you think about them. Yes. Uh, Right now, just one quarterback. Uh, It's a guy we've talked about before, but Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. Who I think is probably the best senior quarterback and a guy that, uh, you know, I watched in the offseason. Off his junior tape, and I and I liked him, but I didn't love him. I, I thought that there were uh, some times where he flashed potential. I, I I thought he was had a good arm, not a great arm. I thought that he was accurate, but he didn't wow me with his ball placement. Uh, you know, there were just some things that I I thought, okay, this guy's a nice developmental player, probably like a third, fourth, fifth round pick that you draft in the middle of the rounds uh, that you try and bring in and develop and turn into something. Again, liked him, didn't love him. Mm-hmm. Go back this year, and he he. Uh, broke his wrist after I think it was week five or week six. So I only had, you know, you only have a four game sample size, five game sample size. And I watched four games, you know, the four of the first five games. And he just blew me away. And in a lot of areas, especially pre snap, and, you know, they give him the autonomy at the line of scrimmage to be able to say, uh, you know, if he sees blitz one way, he can change, change the protection, audible out to a different play. And numerous times, there were there were opportunities where I can remember a play against Weber State where you know they showed uh, pressure from the left uh, and he audible at the line of scrimmage changed it to a quarterback power run and ran the opposite way ran 25 yards for a touchdown. Then there was another play I want to say it was against Northern Iowa where uh, they showed pressure uh, like the corner was coming on a blitz he changed the route called an audible and threw a quick screen to the to the wide receiver for a big play. So. You know, just plays like that where you just see the mental processing, you see the ability to be able to see things before they happen. Uh, really impressed in that respect uh, with what he's been able to do. I can think, actually, in that Northern Iowa game, he didn't have a great game. He threw two picks during the game, uh, wasn't his best self. They're, they have the ball with two minutes, two and a half minutes left in the game with a chance to win it. 90-yard touchdown drive where he made some unbelievable throws. So you just love the the competitive toughness as well and the the ability to win in situational football. So the more I watched Wentz, the more I really, really liked him. I'm excited to see him at the Senior Bowl. I'm hoping that he's healthy enough to to participate. Uh, And I'll tell you, I mean, I I said this earlier in the week. If uh, guys like Connor Cook, guys like Cody Kessler, guys like Jacoby Brissett, if they get those Senior Bowl invites and they're not sure if they want to go – they sh- they better go because if they don't and Wentz obviously will be there he's got the ability to steal the show and then now you're talking about uh you know well if this guy didn't show up and he doesn't want to compete this guy came and competed uh and really really impressed us that may win some teams over so Carson Wentz could be Mr. Steelio draft selection yes correct could be the guy uh he plays at the North Dakota State that's FCS correct, correct. is that going to hurt him it could. It could. I mean, and it's not even a, a scenario, too, where, you know, you had Joe Flacco who played at FCS, uh, was still a first-round pick, mm-hmm. but Flacco started at Pitt, transferred out, so he was a D1 recruit. 
I he was not a, a D one recruit, Wentz. He, you know, I think I th- believe he's from Fargo. He's from somewhere in North Dakota. So uh, I don't know that he was you know a big time recruit, and he maybe just didn't get the. Uh, you know, didn't get the exposure in high school, mm-hmm. ended up at North Dakota State. And I think he's a three-year starter, three-and-a-half-year starter. So, uh, look, there's a lot to like with this kid. I'm excited to see what uh, his drafts, you know, how people look at him as we get into January and February. It would not surprise me to see him go higher than a lot of people think. Moving on to the running back position, only one guy right now, and it's a fullback out of Northwestern, Dan Vitale. Fran, have you done your homework on your fullbacks yet for this draft? Do you want to know the real answer? Yeah, yes, I do. Yeah, I've watched Dan Vitale. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. Yeah. Um, you know, he lines up at that super back position for, for Northwestern, and he's kind of like a movable fullback, lines up in the slot, lines up as a wing tight end, lines up as a traditional fullback. The question for him will be, is he athletic enough to do that in the NFL? And if not, is he fit big and physical enough to be a traditional fullback? Because there were a lot of plays, that, you know, in the games that I saw where, you know, they threw him a quick slant, you know, on the backside as a, as a wide receiver and it went through his hand. So I, I don't know that he's that kind of an athlete, that kind of a, a skilled receiver that he's going to be used, uh, you know, in that role consistently. But I think he's got some ability, so I'm excited to see him up close. Moving on to the receivers, three of them right now, uh, two wide receivers and a tight end. Jay Lee out of Baylor. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell out of Georgia, and then Bryce Williams, the tight end out of East Carolina. Yeah, so Mitchell has been, uh, in the past, has been kind of a gadget guy for, for Georgia, former corner, uh, explo- has the athleticism, has the size to, you know, to be a player at the next level. And I think he's come along nicely in, in certain areas of his game as a wide receiver in terms of his route running. I think his hands have gotten better throughout his career. Still want to see more and excited to see him uh, in one-on-ones. And we've talked about the senior receiver class in the past. Not a ton of guys there that you feel really, really strongly about. So Mitchell has a chance to really open some eyes. Watch Jay Lee. I mean, Lee has a lot of the same issues we've talked about in the past with other Baylor receivers in terms of route running, blocking, getting off the line of scrimmage. So he'll have some things to prove down in Mobile. Bryce Williams is intriguing as a tight end from East Carolina. Has some athleticism. I think he does some things well after the catch, but still needs some refinement as well as a route runner. And, uh, you know, there were some balls that went through his hands as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see him down in Mobile as well. Up front in the offensive line, Evan Bohm, center from Missouri. Josh Garnett from Stanford, who's a guy I believe we've talked about before. And Cole Toner from Harvard. Any of those guys catch your eye? Uh, Garnett, the true road grader, big run blocker, physical. Has, if you go and you Google, uh, you know, Josh Garnett vines or Josh Garnett, uh, you know, gifs, I think you'll find uh, some pretty interesting big blocks from him. Uh, I, I, actually, I can think there was one big one against Washington where he just decleated somebody. Uh, so you, you like what you see there in that respect. Um, you know, Evan Bohm is an interesting guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of former first-round pick Travis Frederick uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. He's kind of built that same way, uh, has some athleticism to him, but really does well in the run game. And I haven't watched Toner yet, but talking with Tony Pauline, Pauline thinks that he's got second, third-round ability, so excited to dig deeper into him. Switching over to the defensive lineman, uh, this is a name you probably know well, Matt Ioannidis from Temple, Sheldon Rankins from Louisville, Charles Tapper uh, the talented defensive lineman from Oklahoma and Jihad Ward from Syracuse. I'm sure you want to talk about the Temple guy. I do. I, you know, Ionitis, I think, has three technique ability at the next level. I'm surprised. You know, the things that I hear and how people feel about him uh, could be a, a mid round guy, and that, mm-hmm. and that's interesting because I didn't necessarily think that coming into the year. Has been very disruptive as a senior, very quick off the ball, uses his hands pretty well, <clears throat> can attack offensive linemen in a number of different ways. High motor guy as well, a leader on that team. So. 
I would imagine that people are going to like him, and he's got a, a big showcase to be able to prove himself down in Mobile. The guy that I think, though, that could steal the show, and we've talked about it a little bit, Alex, is Jihad Ward from Illinois. Uh, just got great size, high motor, freak athlete. The production has not been there. And, you know, we talked to Tony Pauline on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week, and that's what he said was the biggest question mark was how come if he's such a freak athlete with his great size and his high motor, how come he hasn't been productive? I've been really, really impressed with how disruptive he's been whenever I've watched him. So I'm excited to see him up close. There are a number of different guys. I like Charles Tapper a lot. So this is, this is a good D-line group. This is, a, this is going to be a strong group uh, in this NFL draft. Looking at the linebackers, Jordan Jenkins from Georgia. Blake Martinez from Stanford, and another Temple guy. We talked about him earlier, Tyler Matakevich. Yeah, the question for Matakevich will be his athleticism, so he'll have uh, an opportunity to prove that down there in one-on-one drills against the backs and tight ends. Uh, Jordan Jenkins is a pass rusher. Excited to see him in person, how he does in those O-line, D-line, one-on-ones. Uses his hands pretty well. I think he holds up pretty well in terms of his ability to drop into coverage, hold up against the run, and get after the passer. He's not necessarily great at any of those three things, but he shows the ability to be good uh, in all three areas. So excited to see this group overall. Martinez, I would say, is the guy uh, that stood out the least to me whenever I've watched him. Not really athletic, uh, and the instincts were also a question for me. So uh, overall, excited about the, to see that group. And the final position group, the defensive backs. You have James Bradbury from Sanford, Sean Davis from Maryland, DeAndre Hall from Northern Iowa, and Miles Killebrew out of Southern Utah. Yeah, so Killebrew is kind of a big safety, not necessarily the biggest athlete. And I had a little bit, uh, I had some questions uh, in terms of his instincts as well. But small school kid that's got some potential, could potentially be a linebacker at the next level, I've heard some people say. But you look at those corners, and you mentioned Sean Davis, uh, DeAndre Hall, and then uh, and Bradbury from Sanford, three guys that have really good size. All three we've t- we've talked about Hall in the past. I believe I, I talked about him with C-Mac a few weeks ago because he actually was announced as a Shrine Game attendee before accepting the Senior Bowl invite. So I, I got a chance to study him a few weeks back. He's got outstanding length. He's j- he looks like he's going to be you know the next Seattle Seahawks corner in terms of just his ability to line up at the line of scrimmage and press. Uh, and the other two guys are in that same mold. You know, Sean Davis, I've compared in the past to Eric Rowe. He's got some safety experience. He moves pretty well. He's listed six one. I was really happy to see him be one of the first announcements for the senior bowl because I've been high on Davis since last year, since he made that switch from safety to corner in the Penn State game in 2014. Uh, and I just got a chance to watch Bradbury recently. And Bradbury is really intriguing. Another small school corner with good size, with good movement. Uh, I think that this corner group overall, there's some interesting prospects. Not any guys in the senior class that you're going to say, wow, this guy's definitely a first-round pick, but some intriguing players for sure. January 30th at 2.30 p.m. in Mobile, Alabama. That is where the Senior Bowl will be. Fran will be there. I will probably be there. And uh, hopefully we'll see these guys in action. And it uh, should be a good time. Well, hopefully we won't be there. Hopefully well, we will be true. Hopefully we will be true. getting ready for the Super Bowl. Hopefully we'll point. be hearing about it from afar. There we go. As we get ready for the Super Bowl. Uh, great stuff in Draft Buzz, as always, from Fran. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to rate, subscribe, uh, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, however it is that you listen to your Eagles podcast. And right now, let's transition into Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, it's time to get into Pick 6 here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, Fran, I want to give the listeners a little uh, behind-the-scenes access here as we, uh, <laughs> as we game plan for this show during the week. Uh, we'll, we'll send some emails back and forth about what guys we want to talk about and that kind of thing. And this is a direct quote. This is a line from an email that you sent me uh, as we were talking about <laughs> uh, you know, what you want to do for Pick 6. 
and it's very simple, but it's great. You just wrote bucks, colon, pirates, colon, pillage, colon, steel, colon, draft steals. <laughs> and that is how we came to the idea for what pick six would be, as we're going to talk about draft steals today. It's, it's uh you know, you, you see my, my train of thought there, clearly. It's, um, it's very simple, very linear, but it's a great way to think about it. Well, you, I'm trying to follow after you and your themes for game time each week on the Eagles Insider Podcast. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think – and it's it's funny you talk at this point where we're at in, in middle mid-November mm. where we're talking about potential steals in the NFL draft. So the six names we're going to talk about – could obviously end up going one way or another. We might talk about a guy right now that could end up going in the first round. But mm. I tried to pick six six names of you know players that I think are flying a little bit under the radar that could go a little bit later. Some of them are injured, but some you know maybe are smaller school guys or don't get too much love because their teams aren't great. Uh, so we'll see. First guy on your list, Indiana quarterback Nate Sudfeld. Yeah, and I've I've liked Sudfeld. You know, I I remember going back and watching Tevin Coleman last year for Indiana, the running back. And whenever I watched him, I can remember the game against Missouri. I'm, I'm thinking, man, who is this quarterback? And Nate Sudfeld was just dropping dimes left and right. A lot of downfield throws. Overall, I really like him. You know, going back and studying him last year, and then I studied three or four games this year. He's not great, but I think there's a lot of positive traits that I think translate well to an NFL career. He's got a good, not a great arm, but he's very accurate. He goes through his progressions quickly. He throws with some anticipation. I'd like to see him throw with a little bit more touch, and I think his lower, lower body mechanics need a little bit of work, but... I think he's got the ability to stick, you know, and you do look at an example of his impressive poise in the pocket and his pocket movement when he was faced with pressure. It was third down in the second quarter against Rutgers, and he faced an overload blitz with two free rushers. Two guys came free. He sidesteps the first one, then spins out of the second one, got the ball out quickly to a crossing route to beat the second rusher for a quick gain. It was a very good play. Little things like that have always impressed me with quarterbacks like Sudfeld. Again, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a first or second round pick, but you look at a guy that could go in the mid rounds, and especially from spread systems like this, mm-hmm. I saw some things from him that I typically don't see from quarterbacks that come out of teams like that. And he is the brother yes. of Zach Sudfeld? Yes, Zach Studfeld. And did you like Zach Sud- You like Zach Studfeld coming out too, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, Sudfeld, I thought was, you know, he was a solid player. Uh, we saw him at the East West Shrine game, and you know, obviously, big kid, good size. Hasn't turned into much in the NFL, but uh, I think that Sud- Nate Sudfeld has a little bit more upside in terms of his NFL future. Nate Studfeld. Yes. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with the As uh, opposed Indiana to Zach Dudfeld. Oh, see, now that's cold-hearted there, Frank. <laughs> uh, moving on, Virginia Tech tight end Ryan Malik. Yeah, and he's 6'5", 245 pounds, and, and they've got two tight ends there uh, at Virginia Tech. And they've got Malik, who's a senior, and then the redshirt sophomore, Bucky Hodges. And Hodges is more you know, the guy that they line about why they'll move him in the slot. They'll bring mm. him in line uh, to block every once in a while, but they play a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends. Malik almost always lines up in the line of scrimmage. At times, they'll flex him out a little bit. But I really liked his tape because he was such a grinder in the run game. Very clean route runner for a college tight end. Did a lot of the little things really well. Again, as a blocker, as a route runner, solid hands as well at the catch point. Counted on often to block down against defensive ends. And, you know, the one guy he actually stood out to me uh, a lot last year, I watched the game against Duke. He owned Jordan Dewalt on Dijo multiple oh, times. At the our point buddy of Jordan Dewalt on Dijo. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's look. Malik's not the most flashy guy, but I think he's going to get drafted and have a nice career because he does a lot of those little things well. Six five, two forty five. He's got solid size. He can add a little bit more weight on, uh, and I think he could be a, a long time player. Did not expect a Jordan Dewalt on Dijo reference in today's Journey to the Draft podcast, but that's the great part about this podcast. So you never know you never what know. you're going to hear. Uh, our good buddy J.D.O., who was a uh, 
here in training camp with the Eagles. Correct. Uh, defensive lineman out of Duke. Uh, moving on into the trenches, USC offensive tackle Max Turk. Well, here's what's interesting about Max Turk. Started his career as a tackle. So got starts there. I want to say as a uh, true freshman, started games as a left tackle for USC. Okay. Sophomore year, slid him inside left guard. So he had he started his sophomore year as left guard. As a junior, they slid him in, further inside the center, and he started the past two years at center. Uh, I really liked his tape just because he's probably – honestly, he's probably one of the best interior linemen I've watched uh, over the past couple of years, especially because of his athleticism. He gets out in space so easily, uh, does a lot of good things both on the move, whether it's in the zone run game or in the screen game, getting out in space. Uh, a lot of those plays we've seen out on an island blocking linebackers and, and safeties at the second level. Uh, he uses his hands really well in the run game. Very tough to shed at the point of attack. He's got a good feel for the zone run game. He's very natural feet and pass protection. And what I've always said about about Turk is he's got the feet of a tackle, the clean feet of a tackle and pass protection. He's got the grit of a guard or a center, and he's got the athletic ability of a tight end. You know, when I when I looked at a guy like Cam Irving last year out of Florida State, who was you know had some ability as an interior lineman as an exterior mm-hmm. lineman, if he can be a first rounder, Max Turk could be a first rounder, but this November, ripped up his knee. So, mm. towards ACL, uh, out for the rest of the season. Will that affect his movement? Will that affect his athletic ability? And ultimately, will that affect his draft status? We shall see. But uh, Turk, I mean, again, a guy I think had first, maybe high second-round talent, could go in the third, fourth round. Someone's going to get a steal with this kid if he's able to come back and rebound from the knee injury. So, do you see him as a guard at the next level? I think that overall, I would say probably a guard, but he's still he's got the length to play tackle as well in a in, you know in a tight spot. What's interesting is is that you know I was really impressed with his overall ability, but last year as a junior, uh, the quarterback Cody Kessler was just faced with so much pressure, and so you question, okay, well uh, maybe the pressure wasn't always coming from up the middle against the center, but how much of that is on him to set the protection correctly. A lot of free rushers are getting home, so maybe maybe he's not a center in terms of just his uh, mental processing, ability to see, see the defense and set the protection correctly. Mm-hmm. But the athleticism you know, to play tackle, guard, and potentially inside at center uh, is very attractive. So an athletic interior guard who could play tackle, has the versatility. There's been Eagles fans clamoring for the Eagles to get some help on the offensive line, so... Maybe Max Turk is a name to... And he's really... from the Pac-12, and Pac- he has, he's coming off an injury. <laughs> it's, all, it's all coming together. Uh, it's all coming together, but Max Turk, keep that name in mind, and we'll see what happens going forward. Moving on, Georgia Tech defensive lineman Adam Gotsis. Gotsis. 6'5", 287 pounds. This kid's really interesting. Australian, grew up playing Aussie rules football, uh, came to the, to the States to, to get an education and then also to play college football. Never redshirted. Showed up at Georgia Tech and played right away as a true freshman, as a defensive lineman. Really impressive kid because of his athletic ability. He can make plays that not a lot of guys his size can make. He's got a high motor. He shows good instincts. He can win with his hands as a pass rusher. I really, really like him. Just what gives me pause is that he struggles a bit at the point of attack in the run game. He gets pushed off his spot far too often. I thought his pad level was an issue last year. Seemed to uh, still be an issue this year as a senior. Again, like Max Turk, ended up with a knee injury and was out for the season. So, you know, how much will that affect his draft status? How much will that affect his athleticism? How much will he be able to do in the spring when it comes to probably not the combine, but maybe his pro day? Uh, The question, too, is what is he? I think he's a bit tall for what most people would want as a three technique. I think he's going to have to get stronger if he's going to play as a five technique defensive end uh, in a three four. The guy that he kind of reminded me of, and he was a third round pick a year ago from Washington State 
for the Cleveland Browns, and that's Xavier Cooper. Makes sense to me. They're similar size, although Gotts is a bit taller. The movement was very comparable. Cooper also had a lot of issues at the point of attack in the run game. So Gotts athletic, has the ability to penetrate and disrupt, has to get stronger at the point of attack. We are talking draft steals here on pick six. Fran, number five on your list as we move into the defensive secondary, Minnesota quarterback Brian Bodie Calhoun. Yeah, and like overall, I really like this kid, and he's listed, like, I think he's listed 5'11 or 6 foot. He does not look 5'11 or 6 foot. He, he definitely looks smaller than that, almost like in the 5'9", 5'10 range. But overall, I liked him. I mean, his, his size obviously will be a concern. I don't think he's quite the athlete that Senquez Golson was, who was uh, an undersized corner out of Ole Miss last year, and he ended up being a second-round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think he's quite that athletic, but his ball skills are very comparable, and that was what a lot of people hung their hat on with Golson. And you almost say you, you want to say this whenever you look at draft prospects: if a guy's undersized, if he's uh, doesn't have necessarily the size or the length to match up or whatever his particular position is, he's got to be excellent in other areas to kind of right. make up for it. I think Body Calhoun has the ball skills to kind of make up for that size. So m- maybe he's not a mid-second round pick, but I think he could be third, fourth round pick, uh, has the ability to play in man coverage. I, I think that he's got the ability to hang with receivers down the field. And again, his ability to go up and get the football in the air, very reminiscent almost of a Tyron Matthew coming out of LSU and that kind of a playmaking uh, ability in terms of his size as well. Very, very comparable. So I, I kind of like body Calhoun. And last but certainly not least, NC State corner, Justin Burris. Who was just confirmed for the, for the East-West Shrine game. Uh, I've talked with former Wolfpack star uh, Mike Quick about some of these NC State guys. And he said that Burris has impressed him every time that he's watched NC State. So I was excited to go and study him. So when, once he got announced for the Shrine game, I said, all right, let me, go, let me watch this kid Burris. I think you know, 6'1", 207 pounds, one of the most disciplined press corners in this draft. He's very sound at the line of scrimmage, very patient, doesn't open up his hips too quickly, uh, very calm with his feet, you know, patient with his hands, shows a really strong jam and able to disrupt early. The question will be with him, what kind of an athlete is he and what is his long speed like? If he can check those boxes and make teams feel comfortable with his movement skills, I think he'd go a lot earlier than people think. And I like his potential in a press game. Again, if you talk about a team like Seattle, Jacksonville, Atlanta, or even here you know, in Philadelphia where they like those big physical corners, I think Burris could fit the bill there. So there you have it, six possible draft steals, and obviously we'll see how things shake out as the draft process continues. Uh, good stuff from Fran, as always, and uh, I think we'll uh, enter the home stretch here as we dig into our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, Fran, let's dig into that draft mailbag right now. We got some good questions uh, from Twitter, and we'll start things off with a question from Joel. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of rephrase this question a little bit. Uh, but Joel is curious as to whether or not the Eagles will finally get, will Chip Kelly use the draft to find his quarterback? And I put quotations around that. Yeah. But is this the draft where the Eagles take a shot at a quarterback? Um, obviously, Sam Bradford on the one year deal. You, obviously, you have Mark Sanchez here, but. Is this a draft where the Eagles could reach for a quarterback? Well, I think that if there's going to be a year, and again, last year, if you look at last year's class, you had Winston and you had Mariota, and after that there were a lot of questionable players. I think that this draft more so resembles some of the, the draft that you had two years ago where maybe there's not that top guy, and Blake Bortles ended up going top five, but you had some guys go late first to the second and third round that you know, Derek Carr went in the second round. Mm-hmm. 
Teddy Bridgewater went late round one. Mm-hmm. Uh, players that ended up being starters and have turned out so far to be effective professional quarterbacks. I think that when you look at this draft class, and we'll see which ones of the juniors uh, decided to declare, but you look at Jared Goff, you look at Paxton Lynch, you look at Christian Hackenberg, you look at uh, Cardell Jones from Ohio State, sounds like he's going to declare after what uh, he's, he tweeted last night after that game. We didn't even touch on that when we talked about Ezekiel Elliott, who also declared for the draft uh, unofficially last night. Um, but you have, okay, there's, there's, we'll say, four draftable, for sure, quarterback prospects. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the senior class, and you, you've got, we talked about uh, Carson Wentz earlier. You've got Connor Cook from Michigan State. You've got Cody Kessler, who continues to fly under the radar, but I think is definitely going to be a draft pick. I think you've got, uh, we, we talked about uh, Sudfeld earlier. You've got Jacoby Brissett. You've got Kevin Hogan, who looks like a day three pick. I mean, there's mm-hmm. players all over the place in this draft class that uh, could end up being, dra- like I think, are draftable NFL quarterbacks. So there's going to be options, and now it's just going to come down to what is, you know, when you say, quote-unquote, is what is Chip Kelly's quarterback, mm-hmm. we'll see it. But I think that there are going to be options there because uh, I don't know how many of them are going to be top five, top ten picks, maybe Goff, maybe Paxton Lynch. You get past that, and now, you know, there's going to be opportunities there. Our next question comes from Chip Bayless, clever pun there, That's pretty good. Uh, who wants us to take a look at Dak Prescott, another quarterback uh, sure, I didn't even from, mention Pres- from Miss- Prescott. Mississippi State. Yeah, I know. Overall, I think that Prescott right now is similar in some ways to Brett Hundley last year. And, you know, I think he's come along in a lot of areas of his game. He's got natural tools. He's a big kid. He's strong. He throws it well. He's athletic. The issue, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that he holds on to the ball too long in the pocket. Uh, I think he takes a lot of unnecessary hits. He leaves a lot of plays on the field. Plus, his ball placement, I would say, is probably average at best. So uh, he needs to throw with better touch. He needs to refine his lower body mechanics. I don't know that he's ready to play right now. He needs a lot of work. Now, who knows? we'll see if teams obviously share that opinion. But in this draft class, I think he's going to be a day, a day three pick at best. And, and we saw Brett Hundley in a quarterback class that wasn't deep go in the, what, the sixth round of the Packers last year. Mm-hmm. I, I think you could see a similar situation here for Prescott. Next up, our next question comes from Christopher Davis, who wants to know if the Eagles should take a look at uh, Michigan State Jack Conklin tackle. Yeah, the left tackle for uh, for Michigan State obviously had a good game yesterday against the uh, the Buckeyes. I watched full games of him last year against DeForest Buckner, the defensive end from Oregon, and Randy Gregory from Nebraska. Two completely different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Buckner is this you know huge uh, defensive end with who's great against the run. He's got great length, and then Gregory was a bit undersized, dynamic edge rusher with great first step quickness. And I thought he got the better end of both of those games. Uh, you know. Was, didn't kill Buckner, didn't kill Gregory, but overall I thought he won more than he lost. Uh, competitive, tough, he uses his hands well, solid athlete. I can remember in the game actually against Oregon where Connor Cook threw an interception to the right-hand side, the safety is returning it down the far sideline, and Jack Conklin retreated, was able to track the safety down and just destroyed him into the sideline, like just completely obliterated him uh, out of bounds. So, yeah, okay, well, what does that mean? Just shows, shows me another example of his competitiveness. And overall, actually, his athleticism, the ability to be able to track a safety down uh, you know, 40 yards away. Uh, and then, like I said, it wasn't just, a, oh, he just drug him down from behind. Yeah. He, like, <laughs> rounded the bases, came back around, and just you know, zeroed in on him and just obliterated him. Uh, really impressive play. So, you know, overall, look, I think that Conklin's a nice player. I want to watch more and say, oh, okay, this guy's definitely going to be a first-round pick. But 
solid tackles typically go – we talk about this with quarterbacks all the time. They go a little bit higher than you expect. It wouldn't surprise me to see Conklin sneak into the back end of round one, though I'm not ready to fully say he's one of the best 32 players in the draft. Mm-hmm. I feel like offensive linemen just get like geared up any chance they can to make a tackle. Obviously, it's not a good play because it means you've turned sure. the ball over. But if you get a chance to show that you, know, you can really stick somebody, um, it must be a fun feeling. Uh, any other questions there, Frank? Yeah, actually, we just got one uh, during the filming of the podcast from our good friend, Wilton Houston. And Wilton is always great. At, good uh, friend. Yes, absolutely. He's great at uh, spreading the word on all of our podcasts and all of our content on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Didn't get to see the games yesterday, so looking forward to this episode. What do you think of North Carolina versus North Carolina State? And Look, North Carolina, obviously the favorite in the game coming in. But you look at Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback for the, for the Wolfpack, uh, and he's a guy that has shown legitimate NFL ability. The question is, can he do it consistently? And, and some of the issues that I've had with him in the past, yeah, there are times where he flashes the ability to work with bodies around him in the pocket, uh, be able to beat pressure both with his feet, with his eyes, and with his arm. But there are other times, too, where he doesn't do that. And so I want to just see more consistency of him. I've watched, I've studied three games this year, four games last year, and I, I really want to continue to watch more because – there are some plays, some drives where I'm like, man, this kid, he, he looks like he could be a first, second round pick. And then other times where I think, uh, I don't know, I th- he definitely needs a little bit more development, some more refinement. So I would say he's the guy that has the most to earn in this game because North Carolina is coming in. They're definitely going to be the favorite. You know, they've got some playmakers on the offensive side of the football. But you look at Brissett, I think he's got the ability to play spoiler here uh, and really wreck this for North Carolina. All right, so thank you to everyone who uh, sent in questions for our mailbag. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, I think that'll wrap things up here on the latest edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, follow Fran Duffy on Twitter, at FDuffy3, as he gives you all the latest draft insights throughout the week. As Fran never sleeps, he's just constantly watching college football tape as he gets ready for this year's draft. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast.